All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm speaking to you from New York City, the borough of Queens. It is uh, the 19th day of April, 2022. I, uh, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. And I also want to invite you to keep your questions and comments coming to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors of this show are Irving Resources, Noble Resources, Eloro Resources, Timberline Resources, Lion One Metals, SK Mining, and Reina Goldcorp. But I also should note that we do have a new sponsor today. It's Core Assets Corp. And uh, next Tuesday, actually, geologist Nick Rodway who is the president and CEO of Core Assets, will be with me uh, to tell that company's story. Uh, very exciting story, a gold, silver, and base metals exploration project in British Columbia. Uh, in addition to Core Assets, the sponsors, uh, I should say, those are the sponsors for this week, and uh, Nick will be with us next week. I've titled today's show, episode, uh, I titled today's show, A Petro Ruble Now Competes with the Petrodollar. Ellen Brown and Quentin Henning are this week's guests. By design, Americans are kept in the dark about money, actually, but what actually money is. We are taught nothing in our classrooms about what it is or how it is created. That is by design because, as Henry Ford once observed, it is well enough that people of the nations do not understand our banking and monetary system, for if they did, I believe there would be a revolution before tomorrow morning, end of quote. Actually, prior to the presidency of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, money was less mysterious to Americans than it is now because the paper money you carried in your pocket could be exchanged for ounces of gold. Paper was simply a note representing your ownership of a tangible asset, namely gold, uh, or in the United States, uh, silver as well. But the concept of what money actually is became less clear in the minds of Americans starting in 1932 because that's when President Roosevelt confiscated privately owned gold from American citizens in exchange for unredeemable dollar notes. Americans who did not turn in their gold were threatened with 10 years in jail and a $10,000 fine. That was a lot of money in 1932 for sure. From that point on, the paper that Americans carried around in their wallets no longer had any tangible value. Instead, when you make deposits in a bank now, as it was the case then, you're essentially making an unsecured loan to the bank. And if the bank can't repay you, well, that's just your bad luck. 
Money became even more removed from tangible reality when President Nixon removed uh, gold from the dollar for international trade in August on August 15, 1971. Without any anchor to the dollar, the Nixon administration arranged a deal with the royal family of Saudi Arabia to form OPEC and demand that all oil sold by OPEC be paid for you in U.S. dollars, thereby creating a constant and very strong bid for dollars. That gave the dollar market value, but from that point on, anyone in the world holding dollars could not exchange that piece of paper for a monetary asset with intrinsic value. You could then, and still can now, exchange, of course, your dollars for gold and silver, but those monetary metals are not allowed to compete with the dollar as money. Regarding the international dollar system created by Nixon in 1971, that was a petrodollar system enforced by the United States military and was part of the deal to guarantee the royal family of Saudi Arabia that it would remain in power and also to make sure foreign nations could only use dollars to buy oil on the international markets. Thus, starting with President Roosevelt in 1932 and then President Nixon in 1971, what was once a very solid non-inflationary dollar backed by gold was turned into a highly inflationary dollar that gained its reserve status only because the United States and its military might force the rest of the world to use dollars to buy oil in the international markets. Soon the dollar was used for nearly all kinds of international trade, making it the dominant global reserve currency. With its reserve status established, the United States created endless trillions of dollars out of thin air, which it has used to fund the greatest military in the, the world has ever seen and to enforce dollar hegemony, expand its empire, and in the process usher in numerous regime changes. Understandably, nations like Russia and China, to name just two, have not been happy about America's modus operandi. The war in the Ukraine is what may be the start of a major resistance to America's dollar hegemony and global dominance. So we are now seeing some resistance by Russia with the backing of China to do exactly what the United States did, to create value for the dollar. But namely, in this case, uh, to, the U.S. used uh, hydrocarbons to create intrinsic value for the, for the dollar, and uh, that is clearly what Russia is doing now, demanding any sale to unfriendly nations be made in rubles. That aspect of the Russian war on the Ukraine in the Ukraine is certainly not something that you hear too much about in the American media, but I believe it is a major part of the Russian strategy in the war it is waging in the Ukraine. Moreover, it is one that is in response to sanctions that NATO has launched against Russia and which may well be counterproductive to the well-being of America and NATO in the long run. That remains to be seen, of course. Well, Ellen Brown will be with me in the second half of today's show to talk about her recent essay titled The Coming Global Financial Revolution, Russia is Following the American Playbook. We will want to ask her to, take on, to uh, get her take on how Russia's requirements starting uh, by the end of this month to require unfriendly countries to buy oil and gas from Russia in rubles might impact other markets and whether she sees this move by Russia setting the stage for a significant change in the global monetary system. What will the Europeans do? Will they permit, will they submit to Putin in an effort to stay warm and keep the wheels of industry turning? Or will they submit to the demands of the United States? Those are some of the questions we want to take, with, take up with Ellen Brown.
In the second segment of today's uh, show, Dr. Quentin Henning is here to update us on Lion One Metals. That's a company that is making enormous progress, not only towards gold production from its high-grade Tuvuto project in Fiji, but it is also demonstrating that the Tuvato is a much larger high-grade deposit than initially envisioned. In fact, it was Dr. Henning himself who was at least partly responsible for the discovery of that, uh, of that much larger potential for the Tuvatu project. In fact, Dr. Henning is knowledgeable about most of the sponsors uh, on this show, which is why I'm very pleased uh, to learn that he could be with us right now, actually, uh, to just give us a little bit of an update on some of the companies that are sponsors of this show. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Henning. Always a pleasure, Jay. It's really good to have you. Um, a number of companies that we that our sponsors of this show and from time to time our listeners hear about, uh, probably the one that we get most questions about these days are Novo Resources. That's a company that you are the non-executive co-chairman uh, co of right now. You had been involved with the exploration and development of, of, uh, of that company. company has run into some difficulties uh, transitioning from exploration to production. That's nothing new in this industry for sure. But I don't know if there's anything you could tell our listeners about the prospects for Novo going forward at this stage. Yeah, look, uh, in brief, we've uh, announced the sale of our block of newfound shares. This is 15 million shares uh, to Eric Sprott that was announced last week. We also uh, announced some management changes. Uh, look, the company is going through uh, a transition right now. Uh, this money will be used to pay the debt, as was indicated in the news release that came out around it, so the company will be debt-free shortly. We're going to pay that back in August, actually, which helps avoid penalties and so forth, but it's uh, it's a welcome uh, you know result of this sale. <laughs> but this also gives us lots of uh, money to, to actually pursue some new opportunities. Uh, first and foremost, our exploration, so we can now focus more of our, our money and, and effort towards uh, certain endeavors we've talked about, like mechanical sorting, our exploration efforts across many of our projects across the Pilbara, including around Nulligan, but also uh, the area around Edgina, where, where we have hemi-type targets near De Grey. And we've also got uh, ambitions to, to pursue the copper-nickel targets that, that we're seeing next to Azure. Azure just released a resource here recently. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, we, see, we see that amongst many other targets across our tenure, we get about 12,500 square kilometers. So this money is welcome, but we also might uh, pull some other rabbits out of our head. So stay tuned. Okay. Uh, and I'm just wondering, with regard to the mechanical sorting, which is something we've been talking about for some time, any idea when we might get some news on that? It, it should be within the next month. It has gone slow, partly because of, of shortage of people. It's just mm -hmm. it boils down to a, a chronic shortage of personnel to, to oversee this. We are going to be uh, hiring a new project manager for the mechanical sorting, and we do plan to go ahead and move that out to Caratha and execute uh, two. We've got two uh, target areas that we're going to actually mine or excavate and use the mechanical sorter in the field uh, starting mid this year. So uh, stay tuned. That's uh, a big, big push for us. Yeah, it is a big push. I know that because of the nature, the nuggety nature of your deposit, it's uh, deposits, I should say. Very important. Well, what about El Laurel Resources? This is a, uh, a, a silver-tin-rich polymetallic discovery. It looks very, very large. 
in Bolivia. What can you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, it really is an update. I mean, if you look at the most recent news that's come out, uh, some fantastic results down at the south end of the Santa Barbara area. So that target area that they were initially uh, planning to put a resource around is now growing. It's ever-expanding. And they are drilling. Uh, they're stepping out southward towards the uh, the Porco area, which is really a, a huge leap. So, you know, the company has kind of set uh, – they've pulled back from announcing a resource right away. They're going to go ahead and drill this, this area because the results are absolutely stupendous. And uh, I think that's a good move. I think you're going to see lots more – very long intercepts of mineralization over the next few months that uh, will really wake people up to the fact that this is a world-class deposit. You know, when they might, when we might expect a a resource, it's been delayed for good reasons, but when we might expect it? You know, I I haven't actually talked to Bill and Oswaldo about exact timing, but I would imagine with the drilling they're doing now in the assay turnaround, it'll probably be latter part of this year, maybe early next year is my best guess. All right, Irving Resources, you're a director and a technical advisor to that company. I should also say you're a technical advisor, I believe, with El Oro. Is that right? Uh, yes, yes. It's, and and, and, and all, as well, yeah. And uh, I believe all of these companies that, that, you're, that we're talking about are also investments by Crescat Capital. Uh, look, Irving isn't yet, but... Uh, yeah, oh, look, Irving isn't, okay. Yeah, it's because the yep, complicated with the Newmont structure, the placements... But there will be opportunity likely here soon. So, um, look, uh, Irving is uh, back in, in the saddle. We're drilling right now. Uh, we have ambitions to ramp up our drilling. The the results that we saw uh, from that buried center system underneath mm-hmm. the V area are uh, very intriguing. Okay, and the, the first hole that we completed this year uh, just hit uh, an unbelievable number of veins. But it was probably about 130 meters in that hole in which there were just a multitude of veins. So we're quite excited by that. We're quite excited to see the assays come back from that, but but we are still drilling there. So we anticipate drilling pretty much continuously at Omu for the next, uh, you know, for the remainder of this year. We also hope to gear up work down at Yamagano later this year too. So things are starting to come around. Things are opening up. It's all, all looking very good. Yeah, I mean, the company is uh, $69 million market cap earlier today, and I see this, the stock has been behaving nicely in the last couple of weeks. I guess that reflects the uh, renewed drilling and, and so forth. So, And those drill uh, results that you just mentioned. Uh, just with another minute or two left here, uh, Timberline Resources, is, uh, of course, we've had your colleague Patrick Highsmith on the show to talk about it in the past. Um, you two work together at Newmont. Uh, what are your thoughts about Timberline? Okay, look, they've had two amazing drill holes here recently in the water well zone. The water well is just down dip from the uh, the Lookout Mountain resource. And the, the results the, from these two holes, they're, they're about uh, 400 meters apart, I believe. The results are very, very encouraging. You know, 30, 40 meter intercepts of, of around five or six grams. And within that, there's some higher grade intervals. All right. Um, I, I guess... Good. Uh, okay. Uh, just one more real quickly. I'm having a lot of uh, electrical interference in my ear. I'm having trouble hearing here. But uh, Core Assets is a new sponsor to this show. I know it's something new that uh, that Crestcat has recently picked up on. Uh, what can you tell our listeners about Core Assets? Yeah, Core Assets is in B.C. It's uh, actually north of the Golden Triangle. It's in an area where there's some porphyries 
porphyry systems that are are quickly be, being recognized as potentially world class, like Brixton, which is at the north end of the Golden Triangle, has made a, a significant porphyry discovery at Camp Creek. But I think these guys at Core Assets uh, are onto a brand new one that, that nobody's recognized. And the CRD system, this is a carbonate replacement system uh-huh. that uh, surrounds the porphyry, is proving to be exceptionally big. It's about six kilometers or so across, very high grade, very good grade of, of lead, zinc, and silver. Uh, they're going to be targeting that this year. They're going to conduct their maiden drill program on this brand new target. Never been drilled. It's uh, already looking very good. It's you know easily seen in outcrop because it's just it's been exposed by the melting ice up there. Uh, I think this could be a, an absolute you know out of the park world class discovery for this year. All right. Well, we'll be talking to Nick Rodway next week, uh, and he'll give us an update from his perspective as well. Uh, Quentin, thank you very much. Uh, You're going to stay with us, I guess, for Lion One medals, right? And uh, we would want to hear about that very exciting story when we come back from commercial breaks. So don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with Dr. Quentin Henning to talk about Lion One medals. Lion One Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQX is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, Funding in place and shareholders such as Eric Sprott. SK Mining is on the cusp of a world class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Any Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm happy to tell you that Quentin Henning is back with me after the break here to talk about Lion One Mining. Uh, Lion One Mining's Tuvatu project in Fiji is, is a remarkable story. Uh, it's one that I knew something about years ago. It uh, had something a little under 500,000 ounces, high-grade ounces, but kind of small to justify the capital cost. Uh, and then more recently, um, thanks in large part to Dr. Quentin Henning, 
the company discovered that they had something much bigger than what they had earlier had envisioned. And uh, it seems to be panning out that way. The, uh, so we're really happy to have uh, Dr. Henning with us to talk about, about Lion Ones. Uh, LIO is a symbol in Canada, L-O-M-L-F in the U.S., 146.4 million shares, selling at 93 cents in U.S. money earlier today, giving it a market cap around $136 million. Thank you for uh, coming back here, Quentin. Um, can you tell our listeners that, you know, what you have learned over the past couple of years after you, you came up with this notion that it was an alkaline deposit and that it was had the potential to be much, much larger than what was initially envisioned uh what have you learned since then yeah look uh what we've learned is the thing is deep rooted which is what one would expect of a system of this type uh the ma- the magma chamber that generated the gold mineralizations probably parked somewhere down below you know a kilometer or two below in fact it's probably uh more like two kilometers now that we have this deep drilling done um but you know, it's it's kind of conforming to the model. I think that's the real takeaway here is that Lion 1, they did a great job drilling up the, the shallower part of the resource, but now we've identified the root structures, or at least one of them, and it's this, this 500 zone. Look, uh, the drilling there has been uh, has exceeded expectations. It just every time holes go through the area, they return fantastic results. I think in this news release we had uh, 23 grams over 3 meters. That included a high-grade intercept, 118 grams over 0.3 meters. We had 25.8 grams over 2.7 meters, included a high-grade interval of 43 grams over 0.3 meters. And then we had 87.83 grams uh, over grams per ton over a, a meter and a half. Again, included very high-grade, 108 grams over 0.6 meters. Look, it, it basically is saying the system is getting higher grade at depth, and it's it's also uh, crystallizing better. Like we can see the picture now of multiple structures at depth that are all high grade. Uh, you know, to give people a perspective, that the shallow part of this resource, the area that's been drilled and is part of the existing resource, delivers on the order of about 2,500 ounces per vertical meter. Mm-hmm. And now this this most recent news release. Uh, has confirmed that mineralization extends to 1,150 meters below surface. Look, that's a lot of runway. So, you know, it's, I'm not saying we've drilled it out by any stretch, but the fact that every time they drill holes down there, they hit high grade, it clearly indicates that the system could deliver a lot more gold than the, the small resource you mentioned at the beginning. Yeah. And um, getting richer at depth, uh, is this typical of these alkaline deposits? I mean, I guess it depends on... How erosion and other factors, but yeah, is it-, no, it is fairly typical. Some of the the best mineralization can be fi- found closer to the source as you go downwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the nature of the beast. Uh, these things often have some of the best grade deposits or, or structures at depth. It's the same at Cripple Creek at Forgra. The Romani structure was was the highest grade. You know, like I could ramble them off, but they they all like a Macassa even in in Ontario. Uh, I think the the central mineralized zone or whatever they call it, the CMZ, I think, and, uh, that one is delivering phenomenal grades as well, and that's quite deep. But uh, that is kind of the way these systems form, that you can think of them like a tree. And as you go upwards, you know, you go up through the trunk, and then the, the bigger branches uh, start, and then the smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, so by the time you get up to the top, you're dealing with a multitude of 
smaller and generally lower grade structures, but as you come down, you know, come down to the trunk, yeah, you can get some really flash uh, results. I wouldn't be surprised if, if we start to see even more uh, news out of the company over the next year or so as they continue to drill this. So these things can go down, I think I heard you say maybe a, a, a couple thousand meters? Yes, that's correct. Uh, yes, give you an example, Vaticola, which is nearby Tuvatu, uh, I think is mined down to 1,230 meters. It's wide open at depth still. Forgra uh, is open. I think they've mined down probably to a kilometer and a half now, and it's wide open at depth. Macassa goes down over two kilometers. Cripple Creek, about 1.3 kilometers. I mean, basically, all of these things are deep rooted, and, you know, they, again, they can be some big, big prizes down as you chase the, the system down and find that trunk. Yeah, if you said there's 200 or 2,500 ounces per vertical meter at the lower grade, like 10 grams per ton, I guess maybe it might have actually get richer in the 500 zone, probably quite a bit richer, and, yeah. and who knows. Uh, We've done an exercise, I think, in the news release somewhere there, you, you can see reference, but they, they did a weighted average grade of, of the structures in the 500 zone, and they're, they're north of 20 grams. So it is getting higher grade. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Um, there's other targets there too. I mean, it's a, over a seven kilometer. I think there's a number of targets that have been identified on surface. Um, and and are they doing some any drilling on those, or or what? Basically, what are they? What is the focus of the company now? They, they will be doing more and more drilling on those. But the focus right now, uh, there's two two kind of prongs to the exploration. One is to do all of the necessary infill for the, the immediate mine plan. So that's a big focus, a big intensive drill uh, component right now. And then this deeper drilling on the 500 zone. Uh, the team at site, uh, Sergio and his team, have identified uh, other structures at depth that they're going to test. So I, I guess the best way to put it, Jay, right now, they're going to start stepping out and testing more of these 500 zone type uh, targets in and around the Tuvatu system, kind of grow from the centroid outwards, uh, rather than just kind of wing wing uh, drill holes in here and there. Now we are going to do some more ge geophysics. I think that's uh, critical because the geophysics is what helped identify the the 500 structural zone. Uh -huh. And and now that COVID is kind of uh, in the rearview mirror, we can get people back into Fiji. They can do this work, and and I think that will give us better definition on some of the more distal targets so that we can uh, better sharpshoot those in the future. I should mention, uh, there's a, a quote from, a, I don't know if it was Wally Burkhoff or it was at least in a press release uh, January 25th, it says, our objective remains clear to work towards a near-term, modest production start, concomitant with an, a, an aggressive exploration program aimed at the continued expansion of bonanza-grade resources both near surface and along defined feeder conduits at greater depths for the eventual scaled-up development of a larger and more valuable resource. Now, I know the company is planning to go to go into some modest production. By modest production, what do, you, what do they have in mind, and how soon do you think actually, actually production might take place there, Quentin? Yeah, the target for getting uh, a production in place is the end of 2023. And the scale that they're talking about right now is on the order of uh, maybe three or 400 tons per day, which would translate, uh, you know, it's, it's a modest scale. It might translate to uh, 25 to 35,000 ounces per, per year, something on that 
order. Now, it can be scaled up, and that's what the quote that you just read is referring to. As they find and, and evaluate this higher-grade mineralization at depth, you know, this can be scaled up. The production can be scaled up on the back of the success of this, this uh, exploration. And I think that's a, that's a beautiful path for the project going forward. I think it's a, a great outcome. Um, what, what sort of CapEx do you, do they have a, a handle on that? I know they're doing engineering, so, uh, and really moving towards, towards this goal of modest production. Yeah. Uh, is it going to require a considerable amount of capital to get started, even on a small scale? Uh, in my view, like a lot of the capital has actually been sunk already. Like if you look, uh-huh. they, they are actively uh, putting in workings and, and so forth, development workings. Mm-hmm. And they've also got a lot of their prep work done for the, the pads and so forth. So uh, the capital, I don't see, I don't have a final number yet. I haven't seen mm-hmm. a final number out of the company, and I, I really don't deal with that end of the spectrum. Yeah, sure. I think it's on the order of a few, you know, a few uh, tens of millions of bucks. It's it's actually pretty modest, mm-hmm. and I think the the company can achieve it. Company well funded now, as far as you know, Quentin. I know again that's not your forte, but uh, yeah, no. Look, uh, last I heard, the company had around forty five ish, I think, Canadian something in that realm. So yeah, they're they're doing well. All right. So I guess uh, investors should just keep their eyes on the news and and watch for these drill results and uh, progress towards production. Correct. All right. All right. Well, it's a very exciting story. I mean, these are these alkaline systems, as you as you pointed out before, can be huge. They can be very very profitable. Usually, major mining companies end up uh, putting them into production. I suppose at some point in time, I imagine that might be a possibility here. Uh, but for now, the company is building, um, hoping to to grow organically, and I guess fund its expansion uh, through uh, through early startup if if things work out all right. So. That's thank correct. you, thank you so much, Quentin, for uh, for helping us out with these with these companies, especially Lion One here, uh, and we'll look to keep up with you in the future. All right, all right, folks. Well, that is it for this uh, for this segment. Uh, Ellen Brown will be with us right after the uh, commercial break to talk about uh, Russia and their demand for payment of oil and gas in rubles and what that might mean for for the world and for our markets. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Ellen Brown. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, 
Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have Ellen Brown with me. It seems like a number of years since Ellen was with me last on this show, so perhaps I should just tell you a little bit about her. Uh, she is an author, political candidate, attorney, public speaker, and advocate of alternative medicine and financial reform, most prominently uh, public banking. She is the founder and chairman of the Public Banking Institute. That's a nonpartisan think tank devoted uh, to creation of publicly run banks. She is also the president of Third Millennium Press and is the author of 13 books, including Web of Debt. That's the one she's talked to us about in the past on this show. Uh, and the Public Bank Solution, as well as uh, over 300 published articles. She appears has appeared in New York Times, Huffington Post, Common Dreams, a number of different uh, publications, Asian Times, another one. Uh, so she's very well known around uh, literary circles, and we're really happy to have her with us again. Her most recent book, published in 2019, uh, is Banking on the People, Democrati- uh, Democratizing Money, in the digital age, uh, and you can catch Ellen's blog at ellenbrown.com, and the Public Banking Institute is at publicbankinginstitute.org, and she can also be heard bi-weekly uh, on a radio show. It's it's Our Money with Ellen Brown. Thanks for joining us again, Ellen. Uh, thanks, Jay. Good to talk to you. It's really good to hear your voice again, and uh, yes, I... Uh, I, I think uh, I just I you know because this is in so much in the news right now the the war, and I think the part of the war that most Americans aren't really paying much attention to because the media doesn't talk to us about it, and that is the financial, the economic side of the war. Somehow we are taught here that uh, we're told and and asked to believe that the sanctions are really going to destroy Mr. Putin, uh, and uh, and Russia is uh, is a basket case economy and all that. Uh, somehow it doesn't ring completely true to me. But anyway, uh, today I want to focus on your, uh, your essay titled The Coming Global Financial Revolution, Russia is Following the American Playbook. And um, well, you started out your article by writing the following. Uh, you say, foreign critics have long chafed at the ex- exorbitant privilege of the U.S. dollar as global reserve currency. The U.S. can issue this currency backed by nothing, but the full faith and credit of the United States. Foreign governments needing dollars not only accept them in trade, but buy U.S. securities with them, effectively funding the U.S. government and its foreign wars. But no government has been powerful enough to break through that arrangement until now. How did that happen, and what will it mean for the U.S. and the global economies? So for those who, uh, who may not understand how the U.S. dollar became the world's reserve currency, uh, maybe you could explain, start out by explaining that and then why foreign governments have been unhappy about it. Okay. Well, in ni- of course, in the 19th century, all the way up till 1933, we were on a gold standard where you could take your dollars to a bank and cash them in for gold. And in 1933, Roosevelt took the dollar off the gold standard domestically, but um, nations could still um, cash in their reserves, their dollar reserves for gold and um, with the U.S. Treasury. And so in 1944, after World War II, the U.S. had the most gold of any country in the world, and so it was agreed that uh, the the dollar 
and gold would be the global reserve currency. So it would be a gold-backed dollar. Other countries could cash in their dollars for gold. And that mm-hmm. worked all the way up until um, 1971 when um, Nixon closed the gold window, and that was because uh, we were spending a lot of money, and uh, French President de Gaulle could see that we are, believed we are running out of gold, and so uh, he cashed in a good portion of France's uh, reserves for gold and was threatening to ca- cash in the rest, and the U.K. was threatening to do the same thing, and I think Italy cashed theirs in. Anyway, they, so our gold was being depleted, and so um, President Nixon clo- closed, uh, closed the gold window, meaning they, <laughs> you couldn't um, cash in your, your dollars anymore. And, of course, the dollar then plummeted, predictably, and to prop it back up, uh, Henry Kissinger, who was then uh, Treasury Secretary, along with Nixon, made a deal with the, uh, Saudi Arabia and the OPEC countries that they would sell their their oil only in gold. So that meant other countries, uh, sorry, only in dollars. So in that dollars, meant other, yeah. <laughs> sorry, had to get... The, um, had to get dollars in order to buy oil, and everybody, of course, needs oil. And um, the deal was that uh, we would back the OPEC countries militarily, and mm-hmm. there's pretty good evidence that um, Kissinger also said, we are going to quadruple the price of oil. You will be very rich. And that did happen, the price of oil, mm-hmm. uh, oil sorry, <laughs> the price... The price of oil shot up by four times after mm-hmm. this little nine-day um, Arab-Israel war. And uh, so that that deal held until 2000 when Saddam Hussein uh, started selling oil in euros. The euro had just, you know, was to just been just come online the previous you know the previous few years right and Mm -hmm. uh, Gaddafi did the same thing in uh, Libya and we both those countries obviously wound up in wars with the U.S. and got devastated and their their leaders got killed and uh, Gaddafi was planning to actually break away from the whole Western system, and or he was, he was attempting to uh, mobilize the other African countries in a, an African system where they would have a gold-backed currency. And Gaddafi, of course, had a lot of gold, so he could actually have done it. And um, it, they would pull out of the IMF and the World Bank and just start their own system, which certainly would have been good for Africa, but that obviously failed, and we wound up with Gaddafi. Nobody really knows, I think, what happened to Gaddafi's gold. So nobody's been able to break that system until now. Russia, no major world power has uh, challenged it, but now Russia has challenged it, of course, now that we have this war going on in Ukraine. And it started with... Um, or. The, the financial part of it started with uh, the Western powers sanctioning Russia, including um, freezing nearly half of their financial reserves, I think about mm-hmm. $300 billion worth, expelling the largest 
banks from the SWIFT global payment system, export controls um, on advanced technologies, personal sanctions against senior officials and oligarchs. So with all that, the ruble crashed just like the dollar had crashed. And um, so so um, Russia, President Putin, did the same thing that uh, we did, essentially, which mm-hmm. was back the ruble with uh, gas originally and mm-hmm. then oil. So what they said was, we will sell you our gas only in rubles for the for the unfriendly countries. The rubles are gold. So the unfriendly countries were all the ones that had um, sanctioned Russia, and that included 48 countries, the G7 countries. So it would be, you know, Europe, the U.S., Canada, Japan. And um, for countries that were friendly or that hadn't in- engaged in these sanctions or agreed to the sanctions, they could use um, local currencies. I don't know that they could all use their local currencies, but there's a deal with India to um, sell gas in mm-hmm. in uh, rupees and a deal with China to sell gas in yuan and with t- Turkey and lira. So they're using their own national currencies or it was said they might consider Bitcoin or they could, of course, use gold. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the G7 countries said uh, said that refused to do it originally, said that uh, Russia was in breach, breach of their existing contracts to sell gas to Europe in um, <laughs> in dollars or sorry dollars or euros yeah. and uh, the Russian when Russian officials said well we're not in the business of giving away gas for free you know what are we going to do with the dollars if you don't let it or the or the dollars or euros if you're not going to let us spend them so, exactly uh, it looks you know I suspect eventually they'll come around to use it. There is a, a, a way that they can do it now where they, they're effectively using their euros, but the euros get converted into rubles in a particular bank that they can use. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's this new arrangement where gold is also linked to um, gas or oil, Well, so Russia then expanded that to include not just gas, but oil, and they've said that they may expand it to include other things like uh, their grains and metals, and there's some pretty important um, Mm -hmm. things that are rare earth uh, metals, that sort of thing, that uh, that we really do need. So, like titanium, palladium, nitrogen, we need stuff for fertilizers. So mm-hmm. we are rather shooting ourselves in the foot by saying, you know, we're not going to pro- buy your products and therefore we're going to hurt you. In fact, yeah. we need those products. So anyway, that is the issue. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then there's th- this possible, or there was this link to gold. It wasn't exact. Some some people are calling it a gold-backed ruble, but it's not the same as uh, the arrangement with gold-backed dollars, where it would work either way. In other words, mm-hmm. um, Russia was saying they would sell their, uh, they would buy gold at five thousand rubles a gram, but um, it didn't work the other way. In other words, they weren't going to sell it at that price at that time. Now, right. when they first said that, that 
5,000 rubles was less than the spot price, but now the ruble has gotten stronger, and so they changed the deal. First, they said they would do that until June 30th, and now they've said it's a negotiated price, which apparently they're letting it float because because the ruble's gotten so strong, they've got to, you know, be in step with the market more. You know, Ellen, I'd like to go back a little bit to the uh, the origins of the U.S. going to the you know converting uh, from going from the gold back system that Nixon took us off of to the petrodollar. Um, who who was? I mean, first of all, we were spending a lot of money in those days on Vietnam and on socialism. Uh, it was uh, you know guns and butter. It was Vietnam, and it was also uh, Lyndon Johnson's Great Society program. And the politicians, Johnson and Nixon, after that, knew that they couldn't tax the American people. Politically, it wouldn't be feasible to tax them to pay for this. So we went in. So we started printing money or issuing debt, essentially. Uh, and but who was who? You know, who was driving this thing? I mean, was it? Why did we? Why did the country decide to live beyond its means the way it did? Who was? Who, who was behind? Let's say the war in Vietnam. We were really afraid that there was a Russian. The Russian was a threat to us at that stage. Um, I don't think Russia. I mean, Vietnam was certainly, a, or the part that we were at war with was certainly a yeah. communist country. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was in college then in uh, in Berkeley, and I did take to the streets along with a lot of other uh-huh. students. I mean, we were of course, of course, that war. Uh huh. No, uh, absolutely. Uh, many of us were, and um, so, but there was. I mean, clearly there was a somebody was pushing for the war. Um, and I think the draft was on and, and uh, wasn't very popular with students uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, but then anyway, we went, you know, we went down that path. And because we couldn't finance it, we decided to essentially break. And Nixon decided to break from the dollar or the gold from the dollar and do what essentially was, in my mind, what is counterfeit, a counterfeit currency. There's no longer any intrinsic value behind the dollar other than our military forces other countries to use the dollar to buy our product, to, or not our product even, just to buy oil. Some of it was ours, but, and as you pointed out, countries around the world, most countries have to import oil. They don't produce it themselves. And so that made a tremendous, uh, that increased uh, the uh, a constant bid for the dollar. Um, and so from a, you know, from a moral point of view, it seems to me what we what we did was not all that pure. I mean, it, in my way of thinking, we should have stuck and stayed within our means um, and lived within our means, and we wouldn't have had to. We could have been, you know, we could have continued with an honest currency system. Um, I I would agree. Well. I think the dollar is backed by something. It's backed by the full faith and credit of the United States. I mean, it's it act, what it is is sort of just a a measure of value, or you know, you know, it's just saying we the people. Well, it goes all the way back to the paper script of the American colonists. It's basically we the government acknowledge that you have given us goods and services in X amount, and th- this 
we, the people of the country or of the colony, agree to accept it in trade at that that value. So it's Mm -hmm. good as long as you keep your promise. But obviously, we've broken our promise. It's not, not the first time with Russia we had broken our promise various times, but this is the one that someone was powerful enough to um, to call us on it. Mm-hmm. So it's no longer well, what it once was, which, I mean, it worked perfectly well globally, it seems to me, except for the fact, <laughs> I mean, it did certainly give us an advantage, but it gave our government an advantage to make a lot of money for fighting wars. But mm-hmm. we, the people, got um, the manufacturing base was squeezed out because... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, foreigners needed our our dollars, and therefore they sold to us cheaply. And um, it did drive up our our debt to thirty trillion dollars because mm-hmm. the rest of the world needed dollars, and so we always had a balance of payments problem where we're always sh- um, shipping more dollars out than bringing goods in, or sorry, sh- bringing more goods in than um, than we're than they were selling. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we but ran these. Chron- yeah. So we run these chronic trade deficits, and uh, China, on the other hand, is running trade surpluses decade after decade, or at least over the last couple of decades. And they are in a position where they own, uh, I think, something like a trillion U.S. dollars still, but other currencies as well, which they're using to buy up things around the world. And they clearly are in are, are clearly are in uh, you know are working closely with Russia. Russia has the raw materials that China can use for its manufacturing base, and so mm-hmm. um, it is just. It's, I don't know that I would agree with you that that um, uh, you know the dollar has has. I mean, we really have lost purchasing power, tremendous purchasing power, and as you say, it redistributed wealth to the people that were closest to the uh, to the handouts, the government spending for wars and other other social things i would say but anyway uh so now putin is is doing the same thing that we did and i don't know why do you think that our 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 um our leaders just don't think that that's important do they really believe that russia's economy is 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 worthless and that we can just destroy them that way well that seemed seemed to have been the thought but who are our leaders? Uh, I don't know. I, do, you, do you follow Tom Luongo at all? Yes, <laughs> yes. It's, it's, it's the Davos crowd, and they're, they're behind it all, and that they're trying to destroy the U.S. economy along with, or, you know, it's the, like the global reset. Once, you, once debts get so high that they can't be repaid, which is what's happened now, and it's happened yeah. periodically, historically, you have to do a reset. You have to push the button and start all over again. And what they want to do is reset with the same program. In other words, they're still in control, and mm-hmm. we're still the serfs at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the stage we're at now where they're trying to wipe everybody out. I mean, it certainly looks that way. What is the point of cutting yourself off from – we have our own oil, obviously, but we've shut right. that down. And um, we're shutting down farmland and doing all sorts of things just just don't seem reasonable if you're if your real goal is to serve the people, which is what of course we try to do at the public banking institute. I mean that's I think you can re, re you can use the same banking system, but it needs to be re 
redesigned so it does serve the people and so that it it stays within the local economy. In other words, you can leverage your your money or what money is. We now know that all money is created by banks when they make loans, mm-hmm. essentially. And so all they do is write it in their books and I, um, and the money goes out, the credit goes out, like to make those 12,000 miles of high-speed rail that China made in 10 years. Mm-hmm. They, they own the banks or they ha- own their own infrastructure banks. So they can issue the money, just write it on their books, build the stuff, and then the fees from the trains pay back the loan. And, and that's the way it should work. That's what credit should, that's what money should be. It seems to me credit that goes out and does something productive in the society. And then, then uh-huh. it works. Then it's not inflationary. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But anyway, the system we have right now, unfortunately, is kind of eating us up along with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this, uh, Ellen. Davos, I think, might include China and Russia, no? It's, it, uh, well, I think-, I think it is alleged. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. obviously not close to that, but it is yeah. alleged that every country has its deep state fifth column mm-hmm. or sixth column or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, they're all getting so manipulated if, at some level. So, I mean, it's been throughout human history. Uh, powerful people try to get more powerful. Powerful empires try to grow until they can't any longer, until something shuts them down. It's, it would seem to me that what might be happening here are different factions within this desire to have global dominance that we're seeing the battles against each other to try to gain that top spot. Do you, do you see it that way? Uh, yes, and but uh, hopefully the good of it, I always try to <laughs> end on a positive note or something. Yeah. Hopefully the good of it is where all these things are getting exposed. It's mm-hmm. becoming so obvious that some, we're just not acting rationally or not acting in the best interests of the country itself. So. Mm-hmm. I, it really is a political problem, but how we redesign the political system, I have no idea. Uh, mm-hmm. You know. How, <laughs> well, I just wonder. Uh, yeah, I, I wonder. Um, you know, to to what extent? I mean, which side is going to win? Clearly, Germany, uh, Hungary, I think, is buying oil from Russia. They've decided that they will pay them in rubles. Italy is dependent. Some of these countries in Europe are so dependent on Russian energy. Uh, you have to wonder to what extent they can go along with it. Are their wheels of industry going to shut down? People going to freeze to death? Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's really uh, the people in Europe seem to be between a rock and a hard place right now. Right, and apparently the the hope was that Russia's economy would be crushed and it would all be over by winter or by fall. Mm-hmm. You know, when it gets cold, but mm-hmm. it's certainly not looking that way. I don't no. know how many homes have wood-burning stoves, but they certainly mm-hmm. need something yeah. like that. They need something like that. Well, we're, unfortunately, we're out of time. It'd be so much more I'd like to ask you about maybe another time. Ellen, thank you so much for, for being with us today. Okay. Uh, lovely talking to you. Thank you. And we'll do it again sometime soon, I hope. All right, folks. Well, that is it for this week. Uh, next week, John Rubino and Michael Oliver return. And for the first time, Nick Rodway will join me to talk about uh, his exciting uh, project that they're running an uh, exploration project in British Columbia. That's a Core Assets Corporation, Nick Rodway. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. 
Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.